Hey guys, what's up? It is week 264. Let's hop right into these reviews. First up is the new release from Arrow Video. This is The Initiation of Sarah. Now this originally, I believe, was put out on DVD from Screen Factory. Probably, it's probably been like a decade ago. I never did get a chance to see this. I know this is kind of a, a more popular title as, long, as far as the TV horror movies are concerned. This is 1978. Uh, two years after Carrie, and I mentioned that for good reason. Um, so essentially what we have here here is a kind of a telekinetic or telekinesis storyline involving uh, some college pledges, which is a nice combination. So we have two sisters. Um, they're not blood-related sisters. One was adopted. They're half-sisters, I believe. Same same mother or something along those lines. So um, they're both kind of polar opposites in personality on, on a surface level, I guess. So um, that uh, Sarah and her sister go around and they, they're they trying to pledge. The mother um, is basically was kind of like a big shot in the in the college, so she sides more with like, or, or relates more to the, I guess, popular daughter. So, um, as they start to pledge around, it's kind of quickly noticed that uh, Sarah is not really going to make it in the big kind of popular uh, sorority that the sister wants to go to. She's going to end up with the PEDs, which are uh, which are basically the uh, kind of mean-spirited sorority calls them pigs, elephants, and dogs. So they get separated there, and Morgan Fairchild is that runs this kind of big fra- sorority. She's it's kind of a TV star, but I know her more from stuff like fan of the mall and she's perfectly cast in this she's very bitchy very mean-spirited tremendous performance actually so um so what happens is they start to put a divide within sarah and her sister and um she uh sarah realizes that her house mother played by shelly winters legendary character actor is not exactly up to snuff either a lot of mysterious things going on involving her past and the college's past and these two kind of sororities kind of history tied together so uh yeah anyways tom holland wrote this you know tom holland would go on to direct child's play in fright night he wrote class of 1984 um so he has a lot of great work under his belt and i will say that the script is is really solid in this i was uh expecting kind of a a crummy kind of carry ripoff in the first like five ten minutes even though it wasn't poor i was like okay we're gonna get this carry ripoff and it sets it up really nice in the opening with a, a, a basically it looked like an attempted rape and sarah coming to rescue and as it goes on i i caught myself being very much invested in the characters. Um, the acting is really top-notch from everybody involved, including Sarah. She had a unique look about her, similar to Sissy Spacek, yes, where that unique look carries her a long way, and, and her acting and her movements and stuff like that. Shelley Winters is chewing the scenery. She's she's amazing in it. She's always popping up in the background looking very, very evil, I will say. So essentially, yeah, this movie is just well put together, uh, well cast, well written, and although it is kind of, I guess, a technically a ripoff is, is what you'd call it. I was really impressed with all the acting and the dialogue and the characters. And that typically doesn't happen for me in these kind of movies, you know, um, not like I'm saying anything bad about TV movies. I was just, I do like them, especially from this time. We know that the seventies and eighties TV movies were a little, a little stronger than they are in, you know, the nineties and two thousands and stuff like that. But I just didn't expect this to be this good. To be this professionally well made, to have the good score, to have everything about it. Also, it has the guy from Airplane pops up in here um, as kind of a unique, uh, not not unique, but semi uh, more more two dimensional than one would expect kind of character. And I have to mention T. Severo. 
um, sister of Mia Farrow, Tisa Farrow, popped up in Anthropophagus and Zombie and Fingers and stuff like that, kind of cult titles that I think everybody had seen. So when I saw her, I was very, uh, very happy to see her. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't have any clue she was in this. And this movie does have uh, some kind of uh, lesbian uh, undertones, I would say, maybe even overtones, however you want to put it, especially between Sarah and uh, Mouse, which is Tisa Farrow's character. Almost immediately, I was in the movie five minutes, and I was like, Wait a minute. That's definitely something going on between those two, or, or at least one one-sided love here, or obsession, or however you want to put it. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, this movie is loaded with features, and I was very happy to see all the features on here um, because they do a great job in helping the context of this film as well. But uh, it, it, they also had. I guess I'll say fun with it, but also respected it in a great way in the first uh, special feature here. Um, Welcome to Hell Week, a pledge's guide to initiation of Sarah, a brand new appreciation by film critic Stacey Ponder and queer horror programmer Anthony Hudson. Uh, co-host of the Gaylords of Darkness podcast. This was really slickly edited, very funny. Um, like I said, they have fun with it, and they have like little breakups in, uh, I guess, chapters, and they go into depth about it and talk a lot about all that stuff and the cast and all the way. And, and it was really well put together, special feature, very impressed with it. There's also a brand new audio commentary by TV movie expert Amanda Reyes, who basically wrote a T, I think, I believe she wrote a horror TV horror book so on the subject. She's kind of like the authority on TV horror. She did a very good job here, showed a lot of love for the movie, and uh, yeah, and, and compared it to other films as well, which I'm a big fan of doing uh, to kind of get the grasp on what you're watching. Cracks in the Sisterhood, Second Wave Feminism, and the Initiation of Sarah, a brand new visual essay by film critic and historian Alexandra Heller Nicholas. This was also really interesting and talking about, you know, how like the women have the power in here. And I also like how they start to talk about how, kind of breaking down that like it also has that massacre at Central High feel like right. So we have the bullies and and, and the boys are taken care of, and then we have the people who are picked on, and they start to, like, it's just because a side is picked on or something doesn't mean they're necessarily good either and have great intentions, and that kind of breaks that down a little bit here, and um, I believe that's in that special feature. And then the init- uh, the imitations of Sarah, brand new video, a new interview with film critic Samantha McLean, looking at witchcraft, empowerment, TV, movies, and telekinetic shy girls, uh, post-carry, also very good, and the initiation of Tom, which is an interview with Tom Holland, talks a little bit how he got his start, how he got started on writing and stuff like like that there's uh some people talking a little bit about how he wanted to turn some of the girls into farm animals anyways uh it, it's not as like violent or, or insane as one would expect or gratuitous nudity or anything like that because it's a tv film but what i will say is it literally had me on the edge of my seat i was wondering what happened and it's a little darker than one might expect for something like this uh the print looks great it sounds great the score's really solid too gets stuck in your head it's just a much better film than it has any right to be. And I mean that as an utmost compliment. These are always kind of like the special little gems that you find. You're like, wow, that was just a, a nice treat you didn't really expect. And I'm glad I finally seen it. I need to check out more TV horror from the 70s. So Initiation of Sarah, good stuff from Arrow Video. All right, the next one up is Edge of Sanity, starring Anthony Perkins from, what, 1989? And this was originally put out by Blu-ray uh, by Screen Factory as well. So now we have another edition. I believe that's long out of print. Uh, gotta love Anthony Perkins. He's always pretty tremendous at this kind of thing. Um, the director here, uh, Gerard Kincaid, he did some uh, kind of softcore films. Like I believe it's called Lady Libertine, and I reviewed that years back. So Anthony Perkins is the big name in this film, the one that draws the attention. And it's... Uh, um, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde story by Robert Louis Stevens. 
Evans, the original story. I love that story. Um, I love all the takes on it. Um, but this one also incorporates Jack the Ripper, which is a really smart idea because the Whitechapel murders of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. It's something uh, mixing fantasy with reality, kind of set in a period piece. I like that a lot. I think it's really cool. I've always kind of enjoyed that kind of stuff here, kind of mixing the re- historical, like a uh, revisionist history or whatever, but adding like a great story as well in there. So essentially, Anthony Perkins is a brilliant scientist or doctor. He has, uh, you know, a bad lag and everything like that. And he starts to kind of develop, of course, this serum and everything. And he's taking it uh, for anesthetic, uses it on eye surgeries and stuff like that. And one day, um, his like uh, lab monkey screws something up and it mixes it with something it shouldn't. The fumes get to him. And of course, you guys know the story of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. High. We have mild mannered, uh, intelligent doctor. And then uh, instead, his dark half that comes out of him in the original story is a much younger, hairier, violent, angry man. And then they play on it a lot of times. You'll have Dr. Jekyll's sister Hyde, which obviously they switch male to female and all that kind of stuff. So uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hype, which is Oliver Reed, held the nutty professor. So we have so many different takes on this story. This time we have a more hard-edged sexual kind of thing here. And we kind of learn that in, in some, like, uh, in the opening, Anthony Perkins has a lot of kind of, like, deep-seated sexual desires and stuff. So this puts it kind of in line with something like Dr. Um, the Strange Case of Dr. What is that one? Um, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mrs. Osborne by uh, Wolverine and Boyshechek, however you say his name. That's a really cool movie and really dirty and creepy and surreal, kind of like soft lighting. Anyways, it kind of is in line with that. So Anthony Perkins gets this kind of blast of, uh, you know, sexual stuff in his face and he's obviously hooked on it and he starts to kind of frequent prostitutes and there's some real kind of heavy sexual stuff and weird stuff with Anthony Perkins, like sticking his face in a prostitute's ass and say, look at that, look at that. We're very memorable. Um, and also stylized, just low budget, but it has like a nice style to it. Um, you know, period piece at the same time, but it's perfect that Dr. Jekyll's like has this desire now, Mr. Hyde, I should say, has this desire Jack Hyde for like sexual desire, but also he has a murderous rage. So perfect for Dr. Jekyll and Jack the Ripper mix. Uh, anyways, Perkins kind of steals the show without Perkins. You really don't have a movie, but uh, there's kind of these nice like scenes in the brothel with lots of side characters and, and a gratuitous amount of nudity, which is kind of, I guess you gotta have to have it here. Decent amount of gore. There's a couple kills in here um, of, you know, throats getting slit. A couple are off screen, but but all in all, I, I was very happy with this movie. I, I'd never seen it. I always heard kind of really harshly negative things about it, and I just don't believe them to be true, to be honest. I thought it was very solid. Um, I thought the acting, of course, by Perkins was very good. And he's made for these kind of roles. I mean, like, he's kind of typecast after Psycho, of course. But almost every time I've seen Perkins pop up, even if it, it's kind of a lesser role or lesser movie, he always delivers the goods. And this is this is uh, no different here. Um, he kind of gets to play two different characters, right? Um, as far as the special features are concerned, brand new audio commentary with David Flint and author and filmmaker Sean Hogan. Edwards Edge, an interview with producer Edward Simmons. Um, he kind of talks about, you know, working um, with uh, um, Perkins and getting him in. How he it was kind of very eccentric, but also um, genuinely cool person and became a friend with him and stuff like that so it's nice hearing stories uh you know of anthony perkins over the edge a brand new interview with stephen thrower author of nightmare usa jack jekyll and other screen psychos a brand new interview with dr claire smith author of jack the ripper in film and culture french love a career spanning interview with director gregor king code and uh thought it was pretty interesting as well and staying sane general king code's discussions of edge of sanity it was nice seeing this guy's kind of career how he he talks a lot about you know how like his uh sex films or however you call them aren't really necessary 
necessarily just hardcore films. He even makes fun of the old pizza trope. He's more talking about how he makes his movies um, as actual films with sex and stuff in them. Anyways, it uh, looks good. Sounds good. Um, if you're looking for some weird kind of grotesque, sexy time, I guess Edge of Sanity is the one for you. Uh, Anthony Perkins, great, great actor, of course. We all know this. Okay, the next one up is from Mondo Macabro from 1976, and this is Hotel Fear. Um, and this is a very kind of bizarre... I, I feel like I've never seen a period piece kind of thriller giallo in this style. Now, I do call it more of a drama war movie over gialli, but it becomes one as well. Definitely an Italian kind of style thriller. The director of this also did The Perfume of the Lady in Black, which I feel has probably a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say clout, but more popularity. I think it's been, you know, it's been out on Blu-ray a couple times in the States and overseas. So Hotel Fear. I did not know much about this title. And uh, right away, I, I was kind of intrigued. The actress in this, um, the lead actress, she pops up in one more movie that I'm familiar with off the top looking her up and I was like oh wow I did remember her Naked Massacre aka Born for Hell which is is uh, I think an underrated horror film as well from 76 uh, about you know kind of the Richard Speck killings so essentially um, this movie is taking place during World War II and uh, our lead character here and her mother are running this hotel filled with all sorts of weird eccentric characters in fact this whole idea and the here reminded me of um, you know the Ulysses or Odysseus story where she's waiting for they're waiting for the father to come back from the war and it's been a long time so people think he's probably dead and we have all these kind of people staying at the hotel technically suitors and they're just being awful and horrible and they're all different weird eccentric characters and stuff taking advantage of the situation uh, completely there's also another character in the film um played by the uh what is his name geez he's, he's a bigger actor but he's also in nightmare city which i'll be talking about here and he's kind of the mother's lover and he lives hidden hiding from like the war um because he if he's arrested you know yada yada the nazis will take him out so um fairly soon the mother a spoiler here passes away and leaves the daughter to take care of everything and they break a lot of this down in the commentary about her starting off as like a child and the mother kind of help and then like her basically kind of graduating to adulthood and stuff like that and and in a way it's a coming of age story and it's very twisted and like she has that hyper focus on her father and there becomes kind of like delusions and everything like that and the ending packs a hell of a punch where it gets really chaotic and lots of people end up dead and just in weird kind of twists and turns and everything like that so what I really liked about the movie was there's some beautiful shots like especially in a hotel um, in the basement there's like this person being drugged down the court uh, hallway and in the back there's like a two-tone window blue and red and it's just it's very vibrant the acting by our lead is really solid um, it's just a professionally well done movie at the same time there's no really complaints in the technical aspects and what really won me over is the last kind of 20 minutes you and you guys know how i like these kind of psychological damaged characters kind of following them around and the decisions they make and how they see things um but yeah luke miranda is also in this movie and i should mention him because you know typically i see him pop up in a lot of polizio tessi or euro crime films very handsome french man and um you know he, he kind of is like a heartthrob and or like in that kind of lead and this one he plays a real seedy sleazy guy i bet he he's kind of like the live action version of peppy Le Pew. and i don't say that just because he's french but it doesn't hurt i know it's probably considered you know racist i don't know but uh just the idea that he has this like he, he acts just like peppy Le Pew, where he he basically corners our lead the entire movie trying to take advantage of her in these weird kind of like horrible ways like oh he's trying to sleep with her while he's dating this older woman and that brings in this whole new element of like uh you know age and stuff and, and just how horrible he is in general 
general. Anyways, this is a really solid movie, and it, I always put the disc down, and I'm like, I want to read the special features for everybody to remember. So there's some good special features as well. Brand new restoration from Original Negative. New interview with director Francisco Borelli. New interview with actor Luke Miranda. Archive interview with uh, Francisco Borelli. Audio commentary by Fragments of Fear, uh, Peter Jimstead, and Rachel Nisbet. That's a great commentary, by the way. And I've heard them on um, on a podcast and stuff, and they do a very good job. Alternate scenes, there's a difference between the Italian and the Spanish version, and they tell you what they are. And it makes pretty much a huge difference. Anyways, Mondo Macabro keeps releasing these uh, movies that are either kind of hard to see that you might have seen at a glimpse in, in remastered beautiful editions, or movies that you never thought you'd ever get a, get a hold of, like Strangler vs. Strangler last week. Anyways, Hotel Fear, good stuff. Check it out. Okay, this next one is a Patreon pick from Derek B. And he picked, what is it? I, I gotta make sure I get it. It has like this long title here. Uh, Godzilla, Mothra, and King Godira, Giant Monsters All Out Attack. Yes, this is a Godzilla movie. I know Derek loves his Godzilla. I like Godzilla too. Far from an expert on Godzilla. I've seen, you know, a handful from all different uh, eras of Godzilla. So this one was made in the early 2000s, 2003, I believe. And this is kind of a stranger plot. I don't think I've ever seen Godzilla portrayed in this kind of way. So um, essentially, this movie, it feels kind of like it comes from like the Damogen or Yokai world, like where we have like this kind of world where I feel like, I mean, all these are kind of like this, but a world where people respect these shrines and these shrines kind of are like, like, you know, in a nature and, and a lot of these giant monsters, they do exist in this world. They bring them up, although they're not a, a regular occurrence or a rare occurrence, apparently, because Godzilla had come. This is a direct sequel, I believe, to the 54 version. So um, the monsters have come out before and they've been seen and nobody's seen Godzilla for 50 years or so. So there's these shrines and people seem to respect the land. And when that is broken you kind of have these kind of these monsters rise but uh, the ultimate is that Godzilla is going to destroy this planet and it's up to three monsters to kind of stand up to him uh, Baragon I believe it's Baragon it's kind of the rolling kind of cool spiked guy Mothra of course everybody knows Mothra and King Godira and it's strange to see King Godira I always seen him as a villain and a Baragon I think back and forth but and Mothra tends to be kind of the most uh, I guess she's the most heroic of the of the monsters I guess the kaijus all the time I'm sure she's been bad before I'm not 100% sure on that but it, it was just different to see Godzilla as like a threat I know he's a threat in the original Godzilla and some of the other ones but it's usually man versus Godzilla and then later on you know a monster would come from outer space or something or wherever and Godzilla would protect the Earth. This time, the monsters are after Godzilla because he's going to destroy the Earth. So, like, we have a lot of these fights, and and some of the cool stuff. Like I said, it reminded me of Damogen, where like we have the you know the Golem statue or whatever you want to call it, kind of being disturbed because like people are just being awful to the Earth and human beings and, and the shrine and this this respect for them in general. So they come back, and that happens like in these three different locations, and we kind of register that these monsters are going to kind of shift together. And, and some of that stuff's really cool in the beginning. Like there's these kids screwing around in a pond and Baragon comes in like this tunnel and, and like, so there's all these, like, there's some investigator reporters and stuff and journalists and all this kind of stuff like this. But the whole movie leads to, you know, these battles with Godzilla and these other monsters to save humanity. Right. And, uh, there's a, there's an ultimate sacrifice. That's pretty cool. Some of the CGI, right. It's not great. It's 2003, but some of the stuff is, you know, monster, monsters in suits. And I like that stuff. So all in all, I enjoyed this one. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, and there's some, uh, though, again, like, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes you 
check out in the fight scenes if they if they feel a little repetitive but like the initial monsters waking up stuff is always kind of terrifying to me right but I, I think this is a really good movie I enjoyed all the fights and there's no real complaints like I said though fights can be repetitive in Godzilla movies if you watch a lot of them but I, the, the CGI in places was iffy but for the most part I, I dug it and Godzilla as a threat is pretty cool especially when Godzilla usually is a heroic type. I mean King Kong I feel like in that new one King Kong was more of the heroic I'm not 100% sure how it goes but you know what I mean usually it's Godzilla on the on the, the per- people's side or something like that um, and this time it wasn't and uh, he's not just destroying the, the um, you know buildings he actually has enemies but he's the bad guy which is kind of cool too so anyways that is Godzilla um, Mothra and King Godira all monster attack Godzilla all monster attack or something like that from 2003 okay guys now it's time to hop into 1980 they did this to you they're trying to turn us against each other Just look at them. What do they know about friendship anyway? I'll get them. You watch. I'll take care of those sons of bitches. Watch it, Alan. I'm shooting. Oh, good lord. It's... It's unbelievable. It's... It's horrible. I can't understand the reason for such cruelty. It must have something to do with some obscure sexual writer. With the almost profound respect these Getting very careless. Blood in your hair. What will we do? You want to look pretty, don't you? Pretty for me. I can't believe you're not afraid. All you have to do is piss on it. Couldn't care blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph, get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. Never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. Evil. Down my leg. Down my leg. I'm here. You're here. There's a bug bank out there. Messenger of God. Here. Demanding everything, including blood. John, I want this material burned. All of it. My son was a son of a bitch, and he was no good. That's it. My son is dead. I don't want to talk about him no more. Oh, Cindy. Oh, Cindy. You're gonna die. 
Major Tenebrado. We didn't find any boy. Major Suspiriano. You know as well as I do, it takes all kinds of critters to, to make, make farmer bins and fritters. <laughs> I wonder who the real cannibals are. And we got to start this. We got to start 1980 off right this week, and we're gonna start with Nightmare City. I love this movie um, by freaking Umberto Lenzi, right? And uh, before everybody says they're not zombies, kind of zombies, right? So, and, so anyways, I know they're infected with atomic radiation or some shit. So, uh, every everybody knows Nightmare City. I hope, or, or they're vaguely familiar with it. It's it's a bonkers Italian kind of horror action flick that never stops the insanity. It has Hugo Sticklitz in it, has um, Mel Ferreira in it, has a couple other familiar faces that you'll recognize. So, um, yeah. Um, Hugo Sticklitz is some sort of journalist again. A lot of fucking journalists in movies because they're always involved in crazy situations because they're like, How, why would somebody else be here? I don't know. So Hugo Sticklitz is supposed to show up to interview the scientist about something. They all are getting off this plane and almost immediately chaos ensues. Um, basically all these characters, these, these people that are on this plane are, are like landing. They're not supposed to be. They all run out of the plane. A couple of them look normal, but most of them look like they have hamburger helper paste a pat, plastered all over their face. And they're these like welding, uh, these weapon welding kind of like mutants. Like in, in a lot of ways, they're, they're kind of zombies, but they're fast and they can think to a certain extent. They're like rage infected and they just must feed on blood. And there is like this big exposition dump by Mel Ferrer and the generals, like why they must feed on blood. He's like, well, their blood depletes and they must feed on more blah, blah, blah. But, and like, it's so strange when you like try to figure it out. You're like, so are they dead or alive? Technically they're alive and they feed on blood, but when they get shot, they just keep running at you. So like, it's like the atomic radiation keeping them alive forever. I, whatever it is and they need blood constantly but they can spread so you're like are they when they bite people do they come back to life after they kill them is that what's happening but like you figure like this radiation cloud in the sky is what's spreading and bringing them back but it's never really clear cut to be honest but most of the movie is essentially Hugo Sticklitz and his girlfriend running to survive this entire thing well I don't even know if it's his girlfriend or just a friend I think the girlfriend the nurse I believe it is yeah and, and they're just running to survive they go across the country everywhere and everywhere they get there's already these infected crazy meatball monsters after them um this movie is infamous for like points in it where the creatures will attack like a, a location with a bunch of people and they'll just run and they'll rip off the woman's shirt for no apparent reason and then like stab them it, it becomes unintentionally funny or just like to the point where you're like i can't believe they're doing that it's so sleazy but like i said nightmare city never stops the insanity it's just a all, all, all action kind of like infected movie and there's lots of kills now some of the effects aren't as elaborate as something like zombie of course but there's you know hatchets to the head people getting their their breasts chopped off people getting their throats bit and all that kind of stuff um and, and like it's just a really fun crazy movie the ending takes place in an amusement park how could you not love that um yeah it, it's just also will cut away to random characters and you'll spend time with them just to watch them die sometimes it pays off it mostly pays off but uh yeah it's just like a long like line there's like a handful like i was gonna say a long line of these crazy zombie movies but there's like a handful that i absolutely adore that are just bonkers crazy hell of the living dead nightmare city burial ground zombie 3 zombie 4 those movies are just uh, zombie holocaust they're just so weird these weird zombies 
zombie-style things from Italy around that time. I mean, zombie's a classic. I wouldn't call it that bonk. It is bonkers, but not in the same kind of batshit crazy that these are. So, like, I mean, this one, this edition here from Arrow, I do have the Raro as well, and I'm not sure which one is actually better. I watched the Arrow. This has two different versions on there. One that's from, like, a, um, this is from, like, the, the original elements of the one 2K scan, and um, it, it's damaged to a certain extent, so in the beginning and the end, there's some, like, yellow staining and stuff. It is a little distracting, but not horrible. And then the other one is, like, no staining, but it's not as clear picture. I chose the one with a little staining. Um... But like I said, this is nonstop action all the way. Hugo Sticklitz, I love in this. Um, and, and the ending is absolutely hilarious. Like in any other movie, you'd be like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is bullshit. But in this movie, I'm just like, yeah, that's right. That's dead on right. I love that that's the ending because it just, it always cracks me up. Unfortunately, though, I will mention in this version, because in the original version, you know, the, the English version or whatever, they would say the nightmare continues. But this time it just says it in Italian and there's no subtitles that pop up. It's kind of a bummer. Although I've seen the movie a hundred times, I know what it's saying, but still. So one thing I want to get into is there's a commentary on here by, um, geez, what's the, I just reviewed it, Chris Alexander. And this is like, these, this one came out a while ago, this, this disc. So like when you think like commentaries, you're like thinking Tim Lucas, Cat Ellinger, Stephen Thrower, Troy Howarth, Kim Newman, like I, I, all these people like that. And you're like, oh, these are really great commentaries. Very interesting, very intelligent, you know, hyper-focused on this kind of, this deal here. So Chris Alexander's commentary is not that. It, it plays more as like a fan commentary. Like it feels like there's not this uh, uh, immaculate amount of research. He just probably enjoyed the movie, hadn't seen it in a while, and he decides to do a commentary on here and he talks about it, takes some fun out on it and, and stuff like that. It's just I, I personally, when we have like up to snuff with like Tim Lucas and stuff, like I, I wouldn't mind this commentary on there with somebody else. You know what I mean? Uh, as well, but uh, but all in all, it is what it is. Like there's just stuff that I'm just like. I mean, you could go a little deeper in that. He talks about like the character in here, I, and I'm not even trying to badmouth him. I enjoy some of his movies and everything like this. He talks about a character, uh, the one general's character drawing this um this painting, the wife, the general's wife doing this sculpture, and she's like, it reminds me of death. And he's like, that never really pays off. And I'm like, well, it kind of does in multiple ways. She's having a premonition right there of death, but the whole entire movie is one premonition, right? So it's like a premonition within a premonition, kind of hinting at the be a premonition and also i mean she does die so i mean that does pay off and then the sculpture is directly involved with her death afterwards uh the the reveal i don't know anyways it just seemed kind of like it wasn't that well researched of a commentary but it's a fine commentary if you want to hear somebody who loves the movie kind of make jokes about it because the movie's absolutely ridiculously bonkers looks like a lot of unsafe stunts explosions machine gun firing all sorts of bonkers shit um it's just it's one of these things where it's like it's not a zombie but it's like i oh, don't look kind of dead i'm not sure how they're spreading it if it's the atomic cloud i guess they're not zombies but it looks like they're ki- getting up and killing after i don't fucking know um they get shot in the head they die they can take body shots um it is what it is uh sleazy cheesy insanity from Alberto Lenzi nightmare city one of my personal favorites from Alberto Lenzi um I'm that kind of cheap kind of crazy guy right so uh yeah nightmare city you gotta see it you gotta have it you gotta have two copies of it I think I have three copies of nightmare city and it's not enough it's not enough give me your nightmare city copies now I want them all of them because the nightmare never ends 
Okay, the next one. Um, and you know what? I just said the nightmare never ends. It should be the nightmare becomes a reality, I think, is the actual quote. Never mind from the last one. This doesn't matter. So the next one popping up is probably one of the most mean-spirited movies of 1980. Um, and it was a rewatch. I had not seen it in a long time. And, like, I like the Shaw Brothers stuff. I dig it. And this is the first Shaw Brothers movies I ever saw because I heard it had such a reputation. Like, people like, this movie's crazy. And so I, I tracked it down years ago on DVD. Um, and it is Lost Souls. More of an exploitation, but... It has a revenge quality to it, and it's so, it's just like torture, like a lot of torture. I can see why a lot of, like, Internet Movie Database calls it horror. So, um, yeah, this is, this is a fucking crazy movie. It's by the director of Men Behind the Sun, eight years before Men Behind the Sun. So, like, if you were to say that this this director has a sense of sadism, like, which is unmatched. Like, Ruggiero Diodato, like, and this guy are, like, sadist brothers or something. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, um... Uh, so, so the plot is essentially people trying to escape mainland China to Hong Kong, like a group of people that follows them originally three, but there's a little bit, there's more than that. And you basically just watch these poor people suffer this because, um, you think they're going to get somebody get caught by the police. They're going through the water and everything like that. It's just uh, torturous. And they end up getting picked up by these, like basically slavers. They basically grab them up and they're going to hold them hostage and wait till they find like a, a relative that they can call. Uh, unfortunately for a lot of these people, they don't remember the numbers. They don't have numbers. So these people are, are imprisoned and, and, and in captivity by this group of thugs that they spend every waking moment beating them, raping them, torturing them, um, just degrading them, especially the ones who don't have numbers. So uh, in, right in the first like 20 minutes, we have like a group of thugs get these these people and then like another group of thugs kills this group of thugs and takes some. It's just bonkers and crazy. And like there was gaps in this movie where like it was just a rape rape fest like they literally strip all the characters down male and female in this hut and they're naked the entire movie and one of which is like a five it's like a seven-year-old boy and i'm just like see like this is why like i i don't think this movie 88 films or or arrow is going to be jumping to release this fucking thing because i don't know if uk would even release this thing uncut so i mean like that's half their market i don't know like I think it's a good film. It shows you like the the turmoils that the, like the, these people had to come to to try to get their freedom and everything like that. And I guess it might help people to see like all the shit that people go through to just try to you know make a, a good living for themselves or whatever. Maybe at least have some human compassion for other human beings. But at the same time, like it definitely like loves its cruelty it loves its sadism like there's times when the leader of these kind of guys is, is somewhat of a he's semi-crippled and he like obviously gets off on torture like he has this candle scene where he's dipping all the, the dipping candle wax on this woman so it goes to this long torture scene and like it feels like it has a lot of elements of like japanese pinky films and this kind of stuff too right where we just like have like the women being tortured and naked and stuff like that but the goons are ruthless and miserable and very memorable and besides the main bad guy, you start off with kind of like four main goons. There's other ones around, but you got to focus on these four. They all have really unique looks. And the one thing that drove me absolutely mad is about like two-thirds into the movie, one just disappears and we don't ever know what happened to him. No explanation. And you're just like, well, you know, like this is a movie where you kind of want revenge. Like it's kind of like if it's a more serious kind of like Troma's War with less revenge. Like if you if Troma's War didn't have like crazy character, I mean the characters are crazy in this, but if it was Troma's War with more rape, more serious and less of a, uh, uh, I guess, um, like revenge aspect to where cathartic revenge. Cause it's not really there. So like I'm saying, and it's just like, takes its time to like 
add that mean-spirited touch where you're like, well, you, all right, they're doing good now. Well, this happens. Then this happens. And then at the very end, like, it just says, <laughs> it's just life is miserable everywhere, right? Now, I'm a weird person, um, and I know I'm not the only one. Um, I like movies that make me feel like shit. I like movies that cross the line. I like movies that uh, their only existence is to make you upset. And not all of them. Sometimes I think they're made poorly. Sometimes uh, I will attach myself more to ones that I feel like have a message or are so well done. Uh, I don't like, uh, I guess, cruelty for the sake of cruelty all the time. But I have, I guess. And I feel like this is kind of that. So, like, you start to have to look at yourself like, am I psychologically damaged? Especially after hearing a lot of, like, mainstream reviewers talk about the sadness. Like, I love the sadness. I thought it was a great movie. I thought it was, I thought it did have social commentary and a lot of good messages and stuff in there and crazy stuff. And, and a, a under look at how nasty human psychology can be and all those, like, kind of triggers and stuff in people. And, like, hearing people just talk about it and dismiss it as if, like, anyone that likes this is just sick, I'm just baffled by it, to be honest. Like, I'm like, I don't understand. Like, A, maybe I am really sick, but B, also at the same time, have we forgotten that these are horror films? And a lot of them are there to horrify you. Not everything is rose, roses and, you know, and, and happiness. I mean, I understand. Um, but still, uh, Lost Souls, like I said, uh, just an exploitation movie from hell. Like, and like, it's based on like a true incident. So like, I feel like this director is like, I want to take a true incident and just make you feel even worse. Like with men behind the sun and this, it's just like, man, I, I, he did a couple more. He did another one from 1980. I'm going to watch called haunted tales. It's co-directed. looks more like an anthology. So I'm not too sure on it. And like, I, I always forget that the guy who did men behind the sun directed this, that he worked on Shaw brothers film. So, um, if you're looking to watch lost souls, there isn't uh, a Blu-ray overseas. It's not English friendly, but, some people put that kind of stuff. They make their own Blu-rays and shit. So I'm sure it's floating around as a boot. Uh, I don't know if the DVD is still in print. But uh, you can watch it in English or it's a native language. I suggest the native language um, on this one. Um, because it does feel kind of like this like kind of like crazy exploitation drama. But at the same time, it crosses the line in torture and mean-spirited stuff. And like I mean, just the stuff that happens is insane. People setting themselves on fire. People like just being... Uh, I don't know. I don't want to keep like selling it on points of cruelty, but that's what it is. So, I mean, you'll know if you like it or not. I mean, it's pretty ugly stuff, but uh, you know, it's crazy. Lost souls. All right. The next one is a fucking doozy. That is alligator from 1980. Uh, yeah. Directed by Louis Teague, who did Cujo cat's eye, um, cat's eye. Sorry. And this has Robert Forrester, Michael Gazzo. Who else is in this sucker? I don't want to Sydney Lassadick, Henry Silva. I always forget the female Robin Riker. She's great in here too. So that's kind of like Perry Lang, a lot of memorable faces. So here we go. This is the new 4k from screen factory. It's crazy to me. Like you can buy this on Amazon right now for 30 bucks. Great price for it. But then like you go into their website exclusive, they just announced ninth configuration. It's $27 and it's a exclusive ninth configuration. That's a fucking excellent movie. I like for, and it's a limited that just baffles me sometimes. So, and it's like $27 for the Blu-ray. I, I don't know. I, you don't got to buy it if you don't like it, but I'm just saying I don't like it. Probably won't be buying that. I already have the Blu-ray anyways, alligator. Here we go. Um, huge fan of alligator. Um, now I know jaws is the ultimate animal attacks movie, right? It, it kind of impossible to top jaws. Um, and had the ripoffs, grizzly, alligator, piranha. And I love the ripoffs too, but I think that's, um, not saying it's the best animal attacks movies, but I'm saying that alligator might be my favorite. So essentially they always have that kind of funny rumor that people said when you flush an alligator down the sewer or down the, down the toilet or something like that, they're in New York sewers. This one takes place in Chicago. 
Um, and apparently that's what fucking happens. Somebody flushes a gator down the toilet, and uh, this thing is, uh, they're, they're basically throwing these mutated dogs that they're doing these experiments on. They're getting from a pet shop or Sydney Elastics, picking them up and, and taking them there to this experiment place. And, and essentially they're, you know, doing these experiments and the dogs are getting thrown in the sewer. The alligator is feeding on them. The alligator grows to epic proportion and it runs amok in the city. Now, I've heard a lot more intelligent people than myself talk about this film, and they'll bring up the facts that, you know, it's, it's very fun in the beginning because the alligator, you know, it's sort of like kind of attacking uh, workers or, or people that aren't as high up. By, by the end of it, the alligator is in suburbia eating kids out of the swimming pool, and then it crashes a wedding party, and it actually crashes the party who are the people who are responsible for it, right? The, the kind of like evil, like people dumping the waste, the, the rich kind of jerks that are responsible for this are attacked. And, and like, so cathartic in that way that you're like that never would really happen but this movie is grounded to a certain extent of course it's played straight even though it's a giant alligator but it feels just so awesome that it actually happens the alligator kills a lot of people which you don't always expect um, in these movies sometimes you'll have a handful of kills but no there's epic alligator carnage the pool scene I said is, is it's the stuff of nightmares um, Henry Silva is absolutely hilarious in this movie he's like this big game hunter that shows up I guess he's the quint of the story but he has a lot of great lines him doing alligator calls on television is fucking hilarious Robert Forrester is perfectly cast he plays into you know like there's lots of kind of feel like improv and jokes and stuff with his hairline love that stuff Robert Forrester he's just got a, a certain quality about him I don't think he's ever quite been uh duplicated you know what i mean there's a lot of actors out there you're like i don't think there's another guy like him his voice his demeanor he just has it i don't know what it is about him but he has it i like watching him and uh although he is very similar character in almost every movie he's just somebody that i love the hell i watch him from jackie brown the walking the edge to alligator to every to the fucking snow wolf of snow hollow he's always great He's great in this. It's one of his best performances, to be honest. And he's a cop, and he catches on that there's something going on in the sewers. People, bodies, arms, legs are washing up in the, in the water treatment plant. Uh, giant weird dogs are found, and they match descriptions of smaller dogs. So he's kind of piecing this all together and doing good detective work. He's got kind of a, a shaky past involving a partner. And uh, one day he goes in the sewer, and he loses somebody else. That scene's awesome. There's a great scare in this movie that I completely forgot about where him and the other copper in the sewer, they're talking. And, like... It, it's one of the brilliant scares too, where you don't notice at first, but like behind your shoulder in the shadows of the, the giant alligator and his eyes are gone. I was like, Oh my, I did. I was like, Oh, I forgot about that. Perfect, man. Perfect stuff. Um, just the ultimate creature feature. It's just so cool, man. Back when the animal attack movies were practical, and scary and just so cool and grounded in a, in a way that it was taking itself serious. Um, and, it's just a lovely movie, to be honest. It's just a perfect, perfect creature feature. One of the best of the 1980. One of the best films in 1980, if you ask me. Um, kind of hard to, to not love Alligator. Uh, it's it's not too hard to not like this cover art, but that's one thing. I, I don't really care. If you don't like the cover art, I'm here for the movie. Um, but as far as the features, I thought the blue, 4K looked phenomenal. Um, so here we go. We have a new 4K scan from original negative audio commentary of director Louis Teague and actor Robert Forster. That was really cool listening to them talk. Forster since past. I don't know about Louis Teague. And we have new 4K scan from the original negative. New interview with actress Robin Riker. New interview with Louis Teague. New interview with special effects artist Robert Short. Robert Short. Audio commentary with Louis Teague and Robert Forster. Interview with screenwriter John Sales, who is an excellent screenwriter. He just did. Um, uh, 
the Mick Garris podcast. He was on there and good, interesting stuff. And we have the typical stuff. And then um, filmmaker, oh, Trails from Hell, filmmaker Kareen Kusama on Allegan. That's I didn't watch that. I should listen to that. I love her movies too. And then disc three, though we have the television version, new 4K scan for the original camera negative with additional footage scanned from an inner positive. That's awesome. So the um, the television version is 98 minutes, and it is a. Um, the the Blu-ray version is I mean the television version on Blu-ray and the theatrical is on 4K. But I definitely will pop in the TV version and watch it because I don't think I've ever seen I, I've seen it on TV but I don't know which scenes were which. Anyways, um, definitely a contender um, for one of the top ten of the year. I know it made the overall top ten from everybody, but I love this movie. I think it's uh, totally underrated. I love Cindy. Not even underrated. Everybody loves it, so I don't even know what to say. It's it's appropriately rated. I don't know. Cindy Lasnik, like I said, it's a very small role, but. Um, like I said, the dialogue is so good and the character acting is so good in this movie. Uh, Michael Gazzo is another character actor. I remember him popping up in Fingers, which I mentioned earlier, and he's just got that grouchy uh, police chief voice. I don't know what's going on. You know, very like it's just very, very entertaining. And uh, rest book this guy for being a creep. I always remember that line too. Just a, a vastly remember line. The best alligator movie ever made. I'll, I'll go as far to say that. I don't want to say it's better than Jaws, but there's never been a movie with an alligator with crocodile on it better than this. Prove me wrong. Man, there might be. I don't fucking know. Anyways, Alligator. It's awesome. Looks great too in 4K. Okay, the next up is another one of the Hammer House of Horrors. Again, I'll be relatively brief with these ones. And this one is Charlie Boy. And uh, I don't know if I had ever seen this one growing up. Like I said, I watched a lot of those Elvira thriller tapes. And uh, Charlie Boy, I think, was my favorite of the three I've watched so far. So essentially what we have here is um, this uh, this guy who's trying to start his own like uh, movie company. He's along with his cousin and an up-and-coming filmmaker. Um, his uh, uncle one day dies in a tragic accident. He falls off this he's loaded and he's working on the roof he falls off after this weird kind of like uh um like african kind of thing falls down haitian kind of deal i don't think it's african is it haitian i'm not 100 percent where charlie where charlie boy came from but uh this this kind of weird um african relic it's african falls over and he falls from the building so you know immediately this thing's evil and uh, so he's getting like the art after it and his, his cousin's going to get all the, the house and the money and all this kind of stuff. So um, his wife and him decide to take one piece of art for themselves. The wife picks this guy. They call him Charlie Boy. And it's this weird kind of what you would say is kind of like a voodoo doll. So um, when they kind of learn what he is, they kind of screw around one day and they're cut off in traffic by this really crazy guy. And they're like, hey, let's let's just he one night he decides to screw it up and, and use it and we realize that charlie boy is actually kind of a working voodoo doll and before long you know he starts to use it inappropriately before he knows the full effect of it and he kind of curses himself so we have that story where you know kind of a final destination story where he knows there's a countdown of a bunch of people that are going to be picked off and he's trying to stop it before it gets to you know certain people and stuff like that so this one was entertaining it was set up very well and the ending how it unfolds and how it all plays out is perfect like because it's one of these things where you know what's going to happen you know what's going to happen but you're still intrigued enough to to want to know what happens also has a fair amount of blood for this kind of movie and also very mean-spirited especially i think these are all fairly mean-spirited i I even watched one that ended very nice these are all kind of like just desserts even if you don't deserve it right um ec comics you know tales in the crypt style stuff here um anyways um charlie boy is a pretty good one pretty solid and i love how charlie boy looks he looks awesome the the design on him and everything like that never seen a voodoo or doll quite like that very big and and just creepy and uh really well done so yeah that's charlie boy good stuff 
All right. The next one up is another one from 1980, and this is Blood Rage. And this is not to be confused with the 1987 Blood Rage, Nightmare of Shadow Woods, or whatever you call it. This is the 1980 Blood Rage, some say 1979. Internet Movie Database has it as 80. This is by Joseph Zito, right? Um, the second feature film, um, you know, Joseph Zito would go on to direct stuff like Red Scorpion, um, The Prowler, and of course... Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter. So this is early in, earlier in his career. Um, and this is like kind of a crime slasher deal, psychological, kind of in line with something like Maniac a little bit. We have this um, this young man, obviously kind of, uh, I guess you'd say an incel, sexually frustrated. And he visits this prostitute in the very beginning of the film. And like uh, weird, awkward communication and aggression on his part leads to her accidental death. I put accidental in parentheses. Um, he decides to hide the body. Uh, unknowingly to him, this prostitute has a relationship with this cop, um, and he's in love with her. Um, he hides the body and then flees to New York City. This police officer believes she also fled to New York City. Kind of a coincidence there, right? And so he decides to go there and try to find her because no one found the body. And essentially, he's like constantly on this guy's tail without knowing it. They're always kind of crossing paths. And they did get a glimpse at each other at one point. So this this kind of weird character, we follow him around a lot. He gets obsessed with this this call girl who lives across the street um, in an apartment. And he's always watching her from his neighbor's window. He befriends his neighbor. And this is kind of strange, centric, drug-dealing older lady. And he befriends her so he can basically look out the window and watch this lady kind of, you know, have clients come in. He visits the strip joint and all this kind of stuff he's a very strange awkward character and we have like his uh you know run-ins with other people some some kind of free love people and everything like that and it's just he's really gross and awkward and it's just such a strange kind of weird deal like this would make like a good companion piece with something like um naked massacre that kind of character or i guess uh, to a lesser extent maniac when the murders do take place they're um bloody and uh, kind of grotesque and the movie ends uh, very abruptly but uh I, I enjoyed this one i felt like it had a real seedy sleazy look to it i felt like it was fast paced enough and i thought the acting for an independent movie was good enough too and like if you're looking for nudity and stuff like that it's here if you're looking for that kind of sleazy carryover from the 70s and the 80s then blood rage is kind of what you'd be looking for now i don't remember if this one made the video nasties list or not i'm not 100 percent sure sometimes i forget um i mean it does have some weird kind of stuff that possibly could make it in there because it's just the, the subject matter and and uh the prostitutes being killed and stuff like that but uh it's not like an all-out slasher film but it does have those kind of like elements where it's like partially sla uh, slasher partially police procedural i wouldn't say jolly because we follow the killer it's like we kind of follow the cop and this character around there's one lord's tyranny is in here too i should mention that he would go on to be in the prowler I think a couple years later by Joe Zito as well, where he's wheelchair bound. He has a little bit of a bigger role in this one. Um, he's police chief and I uh, always enjoy Lawrence tyranny. Um, but this one is weird. It does somewhat times feel like it has a TV movie quality, kind of like a, like, or it's like some of the side characters or some of the side stories feel like they would be from a TV episode or something, a cop show. But then like the kills and the sleaze is, is, is on the next level stuff. So blood rage, I, I would recommend checking this one out. Like it has a good CD feel that I think is perfect for this kind of year and everything like that. It's blood rage by Joseph Zito. Good stuff. Okay. The next one from 1980 is Monstroid, a.k.a. it came from the swamp, the swamp or something. It has like three or four names, okay? This has John Carradine and one of the Mitchum brothers. I believe that was one of the Mitchum brothers. And that's kind of like it's called to fame. Um, I'll say this. If you watch one movie about a mutated uh, monster created by a crooked corporation on a seaside town, 
um, with a lot of weird, superstitious, racist characters that um, where the monster attacks like beautiful women that are half naked, then watch Humanoids from the Deep. Um, yeah, I should just leave it at that. Okay, so Monstroid is supposedly based on a true story, and uh, I wish that monster existed. He looks like he's straight out of the Loch Ness Horror, the Larry Buchanan movie, or or the even cheesier... No, I think Sea Serpent's less cheesy than the Loch Ness Horror, so Sea Serpent by uh, Desorio. So he's like a monster in that kind of way. He's like that, right? So essentially what we have here is somebody dies in the very beginning of a mysterious death. The movie's like one of these movies that like, if you would have read it on VHS, it's so fucking dark, you'd be like, I don't know if there's a monster. I don't know what this is about. I think I hear John Carradine as a priest being like, oh, but you can't see a thing. Like, I, cause I watched a, a print. This is on like a lot of like multi multi packs and stuff like that. Like it's almost probably public domain or something, but uh, I know Mill Creek has it on some editions and everything like that. So like, uh, there's a monster supposedly in this lake. Um, and there's a lot of people blaming this cement place for jumping stuff in the, the river, the lake creating this monster. Chris Mitchum's a company man. I believe it's Chris Mitchum. I, I it's one of the Mitchum brothers. Maybe it's Jim. It's Jim. I think it's Jim. Um, uh, maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe it's not even a fucking Mitchum. It just sort of looked like one. Um, so, uh, basically he sent down and try to figure out, uh, stop the reporter from reporting this, stop like a local who's trying to destroy the business, all this kind of stuff here to keep peace. Um, and there's of course an evil corporate man back at the back at his place just bitching about everything yada yada complete piece of shit corporate greed uh, you know destroying the environment yada 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 but like when the characters are there it feels like it has like this weird mixed message where it's just like hey yeah. anyways there's also a sheriff involved trying to stop this and we kind of lead to, to eventually a murder from the monster we kind of see him he's like this Loch Ness kind of cool creep I like him he's cheap looking but he's fun he doesn't look like the box monster on the box that thing's more of like a blob thing or something but uh, yeah so eventually it all comes down to like the town trying to stop like a, a couple people people stealing a helicopter trying to stop this monster but there is one of the dumbest fucking scenes in this movie so spoiler they have like this this uh, goat or a sheep or something a goat or something tied up with a bomb and they use it as bait to throw it there it's attached directly to a detonator and um at one point the guy in the plane's gonna blow it up and he drops it in the water out of the plane you're like shut the fuck up dude come on you would be a little bit more careful than that the plane didn't jerk whatever so okay so he's like lower down i'm gonna jump in you're gonna jump in find the detonator in the water with the monster get the fuck out he does it i mean it's based on a true story though so i guess i have to believe that this happened um anyways it's not very good um it's really dark it's really hard to see it's very clunky um it's got it's a weird wishy-washy kind of message in there i don't even know if it's an intentional message it's probably just a movie right i don't think they're trying to say anything but i, I mean it's it might benefit from better looking quality you know i i mean maybe some of that stuff would work Carradine's okay in it i mean mitchell's not horrible nobody's really too terrible but there's some very lackluster performances at the same time not everybody you're not like that is amazing that's especially you're just like okay i got it there is some nudity but i really couldn't see that much because again picture quality was that dark you're like is that is that I don't know. Who knows? I'll just imagine it is or something. Maybe, maybe that's the monster. I can't, I can't tell. Um, so Monstroid, uh, not great. Cool box though, right? Great box. Hey guys, we're here for You Ain't Seen. Mm-hmm. And this is your pick. That's actually Blind Spot because you haven't seen it and I've seen it. Oh yeah, yeah. Technicality. This is your pick. I actually don't know what the categories are for anything. I just pick a movie I want to watch whether I've seen it or not. What? That's yes, usually I, how it works. It has, the rules are you have not had to see it for Blind Spot. Uh-huh. Or, if I haven't seen it, it's a you ain't seen. You see, I interpret the rules as I just say a movie and then we watch it. 
So, not what's supposed to be. Anyways, happening. we're we watched for Changeling this week. <laughs> okay, so I, I basically mentioned that we were going to go through some 1980 movies, and I was thinking the Changeling is probably one that Jeremy would probably enjoy out of a lot of the movies from 1980. Mm-hmm. I know he doesn't like ghost stories like The Shining, so we figured the Changeling is a little bit different. This is also from 1980. Hold on, so I like ghost stories. I don't know if The Shining is a ghost story. I feel like The Shining doesn't know what it is. And I said that much. Anyways, here we are watching the better version of The Shining. It's not the better version. So it's directed by Peter Maddock. Mm -hmm. You know, as a director, I know, but I'm slipping my mind exactly which ones he did. It stars George C. Scott, um, who's like legendary, one of the greatest actors of all time. Of course, Dr. Strangelove. um, Mm -hmm. Hardcore. A fire starter for the horror fans out there. He always does a great job. Exorcist 3 is another one. So, The Changeling. Um, yeah, this is the second time watch for me. We popped in the nice new Severn release. Came out a few years back. It looks great. Sounds great. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to go about this one. If you were to pick one of the more classy movies in 1980, it's definitely The Changeling. It might be the most classy, I would say. Like, the most approachable for uh, everybody and classy and just one that you could really like if you wanted to show somebody who was a snob to horror films kind of put your hat on the changeling and be like not everything's like maniac and friday the 13th which right. I, I like a lot but still you know yeah i mean this one i think is a very approachable easy movie to get into it it is a bit on the slow on the starting and, and it yeah. did um take me out of it at the beginning but like towards the end once the actual plot and starts to move then then it becomes like really captivating so the story is basically george c scott is an older father he has a young daughter and wife and one day there's a tragic accident and he loses um his entire family we kind of fast forward and he kind of is a music teacher he's moving to a new job new location he decides to rent out this uh this big beautiful historical house i, I imagine he gets some sort of discount on it mm-hmm. um he's a talented musician so he's like playing the piano and pretty quick um like weird things start to happen there's a rubber ball that was his his daughter's and it it starts to like go down the stairs by itself he can't get rid of it and he just has an uneasy feeling he starts to kind of suspect that something happened in this house he starts to do some snooping finds a weird attic that's been boarded off he actually um who's the lady he starts to talk to i don't remember if she's part of his work too if a she's co-worker. like the head of like the historical yeah. society which got him into the house it's like yeah. hey we had this house it's empty you need a place to stay while you're doing your tenure thing um so let's just stay in this house like all great ghost stories there's a mystery involved and mm-hmm. and you don't know uh, it's typically is the ghost need help or is the ghost malevolent you know what i mean like there's right. the one or two options so essentially he starts to dig deeper we are introduced to more characters some seem to be hiding stuff and it all comes together beautifully at the end got to give this movie props for doing the best seance i think i've ever seen in a movie it's i think this really seance is seance. great yeah. and it's because seances can be cheesy corny i think this and hereditary probably have the most uh, grounded seances where they're actually genuinely like I didn't want to laugh. Does that make sense? Right. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I am partial to the seance in Beetlejuice, but I but think that's... you're supposed to laugh in that one. Well, you're supposed to laugh, but it's also like sad. like horrific and sad and, you know, it's it's well lit. That's so. my favorite. That's right. my favorite seance. It, it, there we it's, go. It's iffy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love Beetlejuice. But I that, do love Beetlejuice. But no, I, I really like this one and like... Uh, the the line "How did you die?" is such a memorable, like haunting moment uh, mm-hmm. when he says "How did you die?" and it keeps repeating. I, I don't even know how to go about this and really say it in anything else, but I feel like this is kind of the blueprint for a great ghost story mystery to find out the crime behind it. George C. Scott steals the show. Like this guy oh, yeah. could read the phone book, and it still would be a great performance. Um, like just some of the small little in- 
like I think details in his performance when he actually like is possessed to build like he has to dig up this body and mm -hmm. like I like how he approaches it and other people see weird shit so they like go along with it like to the point like in a lot of movies that like they would be so against anything weird happening but since they saw it themselves they kind of just go with him with yeah. it yeah and, and it's realistic in the in a you know in a weird way right you know you figure because this is 1980 so we're we're kind of like in like that peak like you know psychic surreal territory yeah. um I wouldn't say that's a peak. Psychics are real was like what up and down. What were those sisters? That was there at their peak. When <laughs> well, I'm doing... talking about like when like the government was like heavily invested in oh, like yeah. figuring out you know who has psychic powers, all that stuff in like the 70s. I feel, um, and then like the debunking in like the 90s. Um, but the yeah, so there isn't like a George C. Scott like having to convince anyone that what he's saying is true, like. Basically, the characters that are in the story, for the most part, believe him and, and go along with him. Um, it's just he needs to get some sort of technical evidence that proves his case because he can't just say a ghost. I, I wanted the me. one line I was bringing up. I was getting to the one line when uh, the body's dug up and mm -hmm. the police officer they call is like, did you know this person? Uh, Not really, no. And he's like, did you know him? He's like. No, no, no. And he like had his like weird half smile on his face. Right. Like, like that's such a weird reaction, but somehow so interesting in the same way. Uh, the sound design is is one of the keys to this movie. The weird mm -hmm. whispering when he's going over the tape recorder, which is always a great scare. Like, oh right, yeah. Like I said, a no royal use again when you're going over footage or, mm -hmm. or you hear something you're not supposed to hear. You, you know what I mean? Uh, it's very creepy, and also a good way to have kind of characters go down rabbit holes where they're hearing things that aren't there too right. and testing. Their, their sanity but I, that's a different thing altogether so like the sound design is great the house is great all that stuff is set up perfectly and the mystery is really intriguing easy to follow right and it's funny how the mystery ends up being because like if we look at today that's just that's a nothing that's a oh, nothing yeah, for that nothing, kind of person right. yeah like that so um so the the use of the word how, how much how much can we spoil in this movie i mean i feel like most people have probably seen the changeling and if you right. haven't you should definitely watch it i mean the title what a changeling so, so is what a changeling is like this isn't like a supernatural changeling this, this ain't a fucking irish goblin or right whatever. it's not an irish goblin <laughs> whatever the or fuck fairy that are. takes your baby yeah, fairy, but, but it's it's a very literal real world changeling where you know somebody gets murdered and then somebody else then takes that person's place and assumes their life um and there was another movie changing that came out in like the early two thousands. Was um, that the Clint Eastwood one, right, with uh, Angelina Jolie? Yeah, and uh, what's Clint his Eastwood name? directed that, didn't he? I don't know. If yeah, it was, I believe he did. I, I maybe, believe he did. yeah. Also, a really good movie. I don't know if you've seen it. No, um, I have not. Yeah, I, I think that's a movie that we should pick to review at some point. Um, but Who else in, is in the it? same which, kind which of vein. Uh, Hint. Like Vincent Price and John Waters combined. John Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> He's like eight foot tall. Right, I love I mean, him. I don't know. I, I um, thought he would be the best fives if they recast. Him. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I also said he would be a great tall man from the Phantasm. And if actually, they watching him. that Changeling movie, the Clint Eastwood one, I'm like, man, he, he'd be a good Vincent Price stand-in. Well, he, he, he Malkovich is a unique character. Yeah, like I, I feel like he'd kill it as uh, the tall man in the Phantasm remake. Mm -hmm. I said him and Bob Odenkirk. I don't Bob, know Bob Odenkirk. He's the guy from Nobody. I, that, as Reggie, that would be good. Anyways, anyways we're not anyways, talking about yeah. this Phantasm but, remake. That's yeah, so, so so the Changeling in 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 this uh, Jersey Scott movie um, is not like a yeah. fantastical Changeling. It's it's like a oh, it's you know some some plot or some some real world thing. Um, you know, the supernatural element is of course the yeah, ghost. That's funny that the movie is not about a supernatural 
Changeling. Yet it, it is a supernatural movie <laughs> about a ghost. And I would say, like, like, and I love, um, I, I love ghost stories, and I love it when ghosts have to are helping like the living solve something. Devil's Backbone's another Devil's one. Backbone, Last Night in Soho. Um, like those are just like my favorite kind of movies. Last Night in Soho is a really warped take on that. Thing, absolutely, to be so, absolutely. Because like, the ghosts aren't. I don't want to spoil. We, Last yeah, Night but, don't Soho, wanna, but 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 it's in that same like like. Yeah. I I just I like when that kind of story is present. You know, unfortunately, it's not in Shining. Shining doesn't. Stop it! Put a candle to anything. The um, ghosts are malevolent. Shining, they're bad. But uh, no, no I, I don't. ESP powers. Anyways, uh, <laughs> there's ghosts there. It's a haunted hotel. Yeah, uh, that's funny. The blood so, usually gets off at the second floor. Okay, so what? So, um, I will say though that like the house's motive and like the quote unquote villain of this, he's scenario. almost sympathetic, which is. Another he touch is. of realism. It, Melvin Douglas, he's a cl- classic actor. I believe he pops up in another ghost movie right. called Ghost Story in 1981, which has been a year since I've seen that one. So, so I, you know, like, can, can we talk about... Well, yeah, we'll, okay, we'll put so, spoilers up here. Yeah, so, so, so we're, we're going to enter into spoil, spoiler territory. So, like, really the thing is, is um, this rich man, his he got written out of the will, and the will's supposed to go to his son um, from the father-in-law. Well, the... Son is like a crippled, and you know we probably have this all going... flashback, and it's probably the most disturbing scene in the movie. Right, probably what got it the rated R. Right, and so what happens is is the the father basically kills the son, and then adopts another child from an orphanage, leaves it's the country. Compli- complicated during the war, so they could hide it. Right, and, and comes then back, comes yeah. back ten ish years later or so, and like, oh, this is my son. My son never died. Well, of course, the house. Son? Is my son is no right. Well, well, the house is then like possessed by the son that was killed in the house, and he's trying to like make his case be known. And the only way that this son can rest is apparently if ruining this guy's life, ruining this guy's life, this guy that took his place. I think people need to know the truth, is what it is, right? But you know, obviously, the guy bites it, and I'm like, well, you know what, though, it wasn't. That guy's fault. You feel like he knew, though. He knew. You, you feel like he knew, but at the same time, like, he was eight years old when, and, when, and he when tried to cover happened. it up like a typical politician would instead of going there and addressing the situation and maybe trying to communicate with the ghost and apologize, which is insane in the first place. But he tries to cover it up, and then is when he folds. And, and he has that point when you think he might be coming around, but mm-hmm. he doubles down on the threats. So. Overall, he's not a great guy. He's just surprisingly not as villainous as one would expect in this type right. of movie. When you when you compare him to other characters in his situation, they usually come across much more villainous. And right. we've had 20, 30 years of, of such corrupt politicians that we hear stories about them just doing these insane things that are like unspeakable. So if it's like, well, he actually isn't this guy's kid and was four years old and replaced a dead kid, it's like, oh my God, what a monster. Right. It's like, I mean, yeah, he... But at the same time, but you know, he he has that that speech though at the end where where he's upset at George C. Scott for like calling his father a murderer. Like it, maybe he suspected something, but I think that he does think his father is a murderer, and that's why it's so upsetting to him. Yeah, and... I, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I don't think it comes out one way or another for sure until he gets well, transported. It's just into the, the facade house. that this man's been living behind his whole life, right? Like, Good family values and all this. My father was a a. a, a wonderful man that that gave me and raised all this money and saved it but in reality he's just a scummy piece of shit murderer who 
basically never married for money and killed right. his own son so he could get the inheritance because it was a weird in the the will. But you know that that's true. But like how as an eight year old and then you know now you're eighty years removed. Like how how do you how do you know that? How do you? I, I believe do you think that father did. ever? Yeah, and that's the thing. It's it's I, not... he, he was five years old. And he came and picked him up in another country and said, "You're going to be my son now." So he had that moment where he knows, like he's not. Yeah, and he took somebody's place. You're no longer John. You're you're Frank, but I'm John. No, you're Frank. Right. And you're my son. He had to find a kid that had the sentient enough to know to shut his fucking mouth. Right. So I feel like he knew, but it's been seventy five years. And he probably doesn't have his wits about him as much. But so I he knew. That's why. But. To what extent did he remember? You see, that, that's the thing. The movie never like explicitly states that he knew or, or that he didn't. Know. I feel I think like... you're supposed to come to that conclusion one way or another. I don't think I did. Um, so it does seem like like the the thing that the ghost wants is like like man, ghost, you're you're kind of a dick. Hey, he got murdered for no reason. That kid deserves his. <laughs> that, yeah, that kid got murdered for no reason. But really, the the real villain is the father-in-law, who was the so. Father. No, I think the father-in-law who intentionally wrote his son-in-law out of the will, which caused his son-in-law to then connect No, the, the father-in-law was not a bad guy. He just knew he's a piece of crap. He didn't expect his daughter to die. And then he didn't... Who, who would ever... <laughs> that's like you victim-blaming. Like, you're like, well, maybe she shouldn't have been wearing it then. Because, I mean, like, the father-in-law's like, I don't want this scum fuck to get my daughter and my money because he's right. a piece of shit. And, and I wanted to go to my grandson because I love my grandson. He wouldn't ex- suspect that he's going to murder his right. grandson. That's insane. That's that's crossing the line in insanity. Period. Like, and that's I mean, people do that stuff. This is based on a true story. Yeah, really. Yeah. And the oh. and I, I covered this movie before on the channel, and I watched all the features, and they go into depth. They talk about the ho- all sorts of the house and everything. It's really interesting stuff. I think you'd uh, enjoy it. Like Amityville. This isn't necessarily, I don't feel like this is a haunted house. It's a haunted presence within the house. Because we cross over to weird timelines where Melvin Douglas is like in his office, but he's not in his office. That's pretty cool. That's well done. And like stuff like the burnt offerings or the shining, I feel like it's the actual location that is the evil entity, if that makes any sense. Especially burnt offerings. I've never seen burnt offerings. I have seen shining and the shining doesn't know what it is and I will stand by that. So we're going to do the books. John Stanley's Creature Features. Um... Changeling. Where's this thing at? Okay. 1980, four out of five stars. Superior Haunted House, tale heavy with creepy atmosphere, structured by writers William Gray and Diane Maddox, composer George C. Scott, recovering from the deaths of his wife and child, discovers the mansion is haunted by a murdered child. Director Peter Maddox keeps this tense story unfolding on several levels as a pure ghost story, as a psychological study of Scott's recovery from tragedy, as a morality tale of good versus evil. The ending is far out, but enhances this unusually excellent supernatural tale. Trish Van Derve, Barry Morris, Melvin Douglas, Gene Marsh, John uh, Kolick. I love the lady. I can't say the last name. I love the lady in the library too. The lady in the library. The one who uh, is like the the strange one who gets him on the balcony, and then she calls. Oh, the old lady. Yes, she's yeah. great. She's a she, little she great is character a really good. actor in it. Yeah, I like her. Um, yeah, there there aren't a whole lot of side characters, but she she's one of them. And then we have the police up. detective, who's the, very familiar looking. Yeah, but he's only in that one scene. I it's feel. a good scene though. It is a good scene. Yes. So tear on tape, James O'Neill. Yeah, by changing. some. Okay, The Changeling, uh, three out of four stars, 1980, low-key ghost movie with Scott at his best as a composer who rents a huge old Seattle mansion haunted by the spirit of a crippled child out to avenge his murder. Though overlong, this exudes a generally chilly air of supernatural fascination that's well-sustained throughout despite innumerable plot contrivances and lapses in logic, which I I think is, is... 
in line with what I said. Um, I don't see the the lapses in logic or the the um, kind of. Con- I don't see it. You don't see the contrivedness of it all. The, I mean, the this is before there was three thousand ghost stories in two thousand that did this. Well, no, no. I, I mean, I mean, the story itself is is I think it's very contrived. You mean it's, like the idea that you're introduced to the politician and then obviously it no, right no, 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 I mean, no. Like, I like the whole and stuff. Yeah, the whole murder. Like, like I said, like this is like the weird thing where we're like to settle the ghost like he has to kill the politician but it's like it's a very contrived thing he's an eight-year-old child that had this thrust upon him and had to live who said revenge years. is fair it's not like i'm not saying whether or not it's fair but i'm saying like it does come across as contrived um you, you know it's it's oh it's the father-in-law and then the father and then he killed the child you think it's a little too complicated it's, it's, it's okay, a little overtly complicated and like i said it feels to me it feels almost not complete but almost like the ghost is taking it out on the wrong person you know he can't kill those people they're huh? dead already. The ghost goes past it. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, curses, you know. curses, and ghosts. They don't always, you know, they're not always exactly fair. Right. Like, like I said, I, I feel like it would have been a more compelling tale if it was the father that he was out to get, and less so much the guy that took his place. My father's been dead for a hundred years. Right. Or, you know, that's what's so cool about it is that politician's like a hundred, and he right, has to deal exactly. with this shit. I mean, like I said, there's some neat stuff in it. It's really cool. Um. You know, and it's a fine story, and it makes sense. It's just it. it I does understand what you're saying. The... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. and this is a second time watch, so, um, like I was watching it, I was very like happy with it, and I looked mm-hmm. over and I was like, like 25 minutes in, you weren't into it, and I was like, oh shit. It, it is a very slow start. Like, like, I think if if like let's say five years from now somebody mm-hmm. put it on on Halloween, I think you'd enjoy it a little bit more. Just I feel like you would know what to expect. I mean, I enjoy it, but like I, I'll be honest, maybe the first. How long is it? It's almost two hours, isn't it? Oh, 147. 147. I'd say you could probably... If you cut this sucker down into 80 minutes, it'd be a it'd be a five-star movie. But I, I'd say there probably is, like, realistically, like, the first 30 minutes, I'm like, I, I don't need this. I don't I care. Mean, I do like the little small details where, like, he's playing, he writes that piece, and then yeah. he finds out that, that the music box was upstairs. And then the music box plays That's in the That's awesome. End. Like, there's, like I said, there's neat stuff in it, but it's like... I, I, I'm i not a huge Ghost Story fan. You guys know that. I usually right. typically like old ones and, and foreign ones. So for me, um, it's not a personal favorite, if that makes any sense, but genuinely, I think it's one of the greatest ghost stories around that I've seen. So I'd give it nine out of ten. I just don't see anything really wrong with it. Um, yeah, I, I would give this a four out of five. I think it's yeah. fine. I do think that it's a bit on the long side, but once you get past the, the initial setup of everything and the story starts, because the story just doesn't start until the 30-minute mark, it, it becomes a very captivating movie. Um, so yeah, I'd say four out of five easily. What are we watching next week? It's my pick. It's your pick, yeah. Um. I'm just looking over there. What if I just pick one of those random movies like Crazy Lips or Gore from Outer Space from those Japanese movies I never watched and have no clue what they really are? Okay, I don't care. No, I have to do that. <laughs> I have no idea what we'd get. I should watch those, though. I don't know. I keep looking over. I'm like, Gore from Outer Space. Uh, I, um, I can't, I can't even, like make sense of anything in this room. That I don't even read the boxes. I okay. just look at the colors. So, yeah, that's about right. Um, since Ray Liotta died, I kind of want to watch Goodfellas. And I know you've never seen it. I, trust me, I know you're not big into mobster movies, but if you don't like the Goodfellas, all hope is lost when it comes to crime mobster movies. I'm telling you, it is by far one of Joe Pesci's most memorable 
performances. The, the needle drops have never been better. I know you don't know anything about that kind of music. <laughs> I mean, this is the directing. It is literally, it's a true story, too. There's lots of true stories, you know. There's not a lot of true stories about get the papers, get the papers. Right, right. You know, there's lots of true stories, but I don't think any single one of my favorite stories are true stories. It's based um, on a true story. I mean, obviously. Right. But you hate Robert De Niro, but he's great in this. I don't hate Robert De Niro. I just don't like Robert De Niro. Or, you know, uh, how long is Goodfellas? Let's take a look together. <sighs> Probably long. Probably. It's in 4K. Cool. 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 You don't even want to know. I don't fucking know. How long you think? I don't know. What is it? Two hours and 25. You, you know, like... Still, as long as a Marvel movie, and ten times better. It's not as long as a Marvel movie. Yeah, and, and Marvel movies are all over two hours and 20 You know, um, every time you do this, like... like, I'm giving you classics. You're giving me, like... I'm going to get you War and Peace. That's, so, in, that's in uh, four sittings, though, because it's seven and a half hours. It doesn't matter. It's if you give one... me the first sitting of War and Peace, then fine. We'll do the first sitting. Like I told you, you have to break it up. Oh, we'll, we'll break this up, all right. Ray Liotta died. Have some respect. I don't even know what a Ray Liotta is. He's a great actor. Cool. We'll just see him. You'll get to see him. Well, I, a little, I, like, too little, too late now. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like You're complaining about one of the greatest movies. I, like, dude, I've this had, is going to make we're you watching, more, We're right. watching Goodfellas. There we go. You know, because it wasn't on the list like Shining was, even though he did that. You didn't me. put it on the list. No, Goodfellas was. I never gave Shining you any was. movie on the list. The, you did. You picked Shining. No, but I, yeah, that was the only movie you said on the list. But it's done. The list is no Stephen King. I just can't. I can't. That's a I'm huge caveat. That's oh. huge. No, it is. But that's that's my caveat, and you already broke it. So I didn't even give you any caveats. Exactly, and that was your mistake. <laughs> <laughs> No movies that start with B. Right. <laughs> I'm not Japanese gay anime boys. Yeah, I don't uh, want to watch that. <laughs> All right, fine. Goodfellas. Fine. We'll, we'll be miserable together. I love it. <laughs> all right, guys. Let's get these questions, comments, concerns, all that stuff. Last week, I asked you guys the worst horror film from 1980. And uh, I always make sure I put the year 1980. I, may, I like hit it over their head with it. But always somebody always answers just the movie from the 80s sometimes they'll answer a movie that was 81 or 79 that's just mistakenly put or whatever you know how that is that's that's perfectly fine so chris rivers great video day for worst 1980 movie i'll go with the awakening it's been years since i've seen it though so i may give it another shot now i've heard the awakening is painfully boring i have it i'm definitely gonna watch it for 1980 never seen it Charlton Heston, Mummy Movie. Jason Bovee, loved hearing your review of Friday the 13th. Definitely one of my top 10 in 1980, although there is a strong bit of nostalgia there since I saw it in theater for my ninth birthday. Was surprised 7 out of the 10 of my choices made it in the best of the 1980 list and looking forward to hearing your picks. You got good taste, man. You got you got the collective mind. Smudge, I've only seen so many horror movies from 1980 so far and I mostly try to seek out good movies, so I haven't seen any truly worthless ones from the year yet. I would have, say, I would have to say New Year's Evil or To All Good Night. I think To All Good Night might not count as 80 anymore maybe it does maybe it does i think it does i don't remember if it's on my list anyways i've seen that to all are both mediocre and incoherent slashers i never loved them to to new year's evil he's like but i just watched contamination and that movie sucks worst i've seen from 1980 at this point it starts kind of strong with people exploding on the boat but then you see the set from the for the government facility and your heart just sinks the lead actress has no passion in her eyes love it plus she not that you're making fun of her just the term no passion in her eyes uh plus she was 36 but looks 50 come on man and the film because she has bad teeth and caked on makeup Ooh, 
The eggs are clearly made of rubber with the children's finger paint leaking out. Most of the movie is just boring. The plot is half-baked. The alien at the end looks pretty bad. Barely any articulation and a light bulb behind its eye. Even a blood body explosion gore effects are average at best. And how the hell does this trash have a goblin score? The only good thing about the movie. Can't believe Moods gave this eight, an 8. LOL. No, I, I don't love Contamination. Very funny that I gave it like a 6.5 or something. And, and uh, our friend got really mad at me. <laughs> I think he was half kidding. But still, he was not happy I gave it a 6.5. I was being generous with contamination. I, again, this is one of these ones that uh, people love. And I don't know if I didn't see it at the right time. I saw it fairly young, 15, 16. It's just contamination never did much for me. I don't hate it as much as you. I find like the little miniature stuff charming. I find the alien at the end very funny. I like the opening. I don't remember the actress particularly, you know, anything negative about her appearance or anything. It just doesn't come to me. Uh, I remember Ian McCulloch. That's all I fucking remember. And, and a guy with, uh, uh, who pops up, he blows up at the end. He's in a bunch of these movies. But the one thing I do remember is um, the big slog in the center of this movie, like the spy stuff, and I just don't care for it. It puts me to sleep. Um, and then I mentioned I don't hate it, but I don't love it. And he goes on, I didn't exactly hate it. I still have some goofy Euro trash charm to it. The cop getting eaten by the alien is pretty hilarious. The green piece standing for alien eggs and paper mache Mars tunnel was also funny. Plus, like I said, it was pretty uh, bumping Goblin score. Although Goblin should have been scoring a better Italian movie in 1980 like Nightmare City, goddammit. Hate would be a strong word, but I think it's pretty bad overall. I'm sure I've seen much worse I really, if I really deep dive into 1980. Moods, you hate it even with a 7 out of 10. Ha ha ha. Okay, uh, Zach Nolan, any zombie movies you would recommend where the living dead truly come across creepy? I think the zombies in Night of the Living Dead 1990 and the living dead at the Manchester Morgue are really scary. Um, Timmy Baderman is also creepy. Um, the tombs of the blind dead are pretty creepy um, because they're they have no eyes. So they're they're really they have to hear like the movements. That just is generally terrifying. Um, I, I second your Let's Leave the Corpses Lie. I think those are some of the creepiest zombies of all time. And as funny as it sounds, uh, Burial Ground is super cheesy and goofy, but the zombies have a weird, like, crypt-like quality to them where they're genuinely creepy and weird. So I'll give it for that. Um, I'm trying to think of some more. The zombies are, and zombie are so gross, you don't want them touching you at all. Uh, creepy zombies. Um... I will say this, although it's a it's a corny movie and this the overall feel, I really like it and I do think it's generally creepy. Children shouldn't play with dead things. Now it might not be I think the main zombie and it's really creepy. So like I'll give it that. But honestly the first choice that came to mind was Tombs of the Blind Dead, because they are just like on horses and <laughs> swords and they're they're also just a different kind of zombie that you don't often see. So that one. And and like I said, let's say Corpses of Lie have two of the genuinely very creepy zombies for sure. So um, I'm trying to think of some more zombies that are. I know I'd think of a bunch if I thought about it. Um, Darren Hartley, great episode, Dave. If someone mentioned films from 1980, I'd be watching. During the video, boom, we didn't utilize the artwork, uh, Toxic Zombies. Instead, the UK artwork was Forest of Fear. And strangely, Monty Video always had the artwork set against school math gra paper for their sleeve design. I still have no idea how Toxic Zombies ended up on the DDP 39 list of obscene titles with the likes of The Burning and Expose, aka House on Straw Hill. Me either. And now he says Alien Dead 1980 was not on any UK list. Um, okay, so because I mistake, I thought it might have been. Chris Harper, great video. It's been a difficult week. My mom passed away on Sunday. I, I'm really sorry about that, Chris Harper. Um, I hope that you find some sort of peace of mind. I know it's not easy. I know there's not really anything anyone can say to make it better. And um, I, I'm sorry for your loss. 
Um, Ken Coakley, this is uh, in regard to the movies to watch while you're sick, so this is going way back. In 1982, I had an uh, after-school job as a bagger at a supermarket that I worked evenings and weekends. The store was mentioned in House by the Cemetery. Anyway, I frequented a video store that had everything. One night while I checked our movies, the owner came out of his office to tell me that Dawn of the Dead was just announced. When it came out, it came out on a Friday like all movies did at the time. I called early Saturday to ask them to hold Dawn for me and my mom would get it while I was at work. When the shift started, I was fine, but two hours in, I suddenly got the flu-like symptoms. I made it through the shift, and my mother picked me up and put the case in hand. When I got home, I bundled up and watched it on loop for three days. A friend of mine said he had the, had the flu the first time he watched Dawn of the Dead. It wasn't my first seeing it because I saw it at a drive-in a year before, but the movie never got old on me. I do have a question that I keep forgetting to ask, which is how many movies do you watch in a day, and are there movies that you watch that you don't review? Um, some days I'll watch one. Some days I'll watch four. There's a rare day when I don't watch one. And that will be like if I have to. I used to record the show on Saturday. I've switched to Friday because like I don't like it'll take all day Saturday because if I don't have work, I'll just be like taking my time. Friday I get home. I'm like, I just got home from work. I can get everything set up and I'll be done editing everything by 11 o'clock at night. And then I can have my Saturday to myself, my Sunday, all that kind of stuff. I enjoy that. Um, uh, so it's anywhere from zero to four typically. I can squeeze four in sometimes. I think the max is like six, maybe ever. Um, I'm not sure as a kid. As a young kid, you know, sometimes you just watch movies all day. You don't even know. Um, uh, you don't really have a sense of time then. As far there are movies I do watch that I don't review. Um, uh, I already covered, uh, like, if especially if I already covered them recently. Like, I, I was out last Saturday at my cousin's, and their, kid, their kids are fairly young. But we, we were watching Billy Madison. Um, I love Billy Madison, of course. We, we had a good time with it. But, you know, I didn't come back and review that. We also watched Killer Clowns. I've covered it on the show, Killer Clowns of Outer Space. And, and then, like, I rewatched The Sadness, and I didn't bring that up. So, like, I will watch stuff like Billy Madison. Yeah, I watched that. Didn't. But most of the time, I cover them on the show. Uh, occasionally, I won't. And if I don't, sometimes I'll cover them on other podcasts. I'll cover them on, you know, the 22 Shots, all that kind of stuff. But there is occasionally a movie. You can follow me on Letterboxd if you want to see everything I watch. So I, I'm pretty good about that. Um, and where are we at? Okay. So he says also, I got seven out of 10 for the 1980 list, the shining at one, the fog at three city of living dead at four. The one film I wish I had included was hell of living dead. It's my favorite of that year, but didn't hit American cinemas until 83. There was an ad in the Boston globe during that time. It was released as night of the zombies, which was in my opinion, the better title. I also want to give a special nod to my favorite action film of that year. The exterminator, the worst of 1980 for me had to be new year's evil. The star of the film, Ross Kelly had a rush with success a few years before when she appeared as Fonzie's girlfriend, pinky to Shardero. Uh, what is it? Uh, Tusha Hero? I'm sorry, uh, on Happy Days. I, I don't know the episode. I've seen Happy Days a couple times. But for for our, our retro years, we always go by Internet Movie Database just because it makes it so much easier because we have so many different people and so many different titles to cover, and we do different years. So we always just go Internet Movie Database. Sometimes the year changes on us, and we'll have to go back. And it, But just if we went by that, it, it would just be too complicated, too much research for you know 160 movies. Uh, D. Gulag got the notification, dropped everything and clicked. No regrets. Thank you. Aaron Crothers, Windows. And Sean W. Davis agrees, really bad, not to mention shockingly offensive. Don Alex, probably one of the numerous vapid Halloween Friday 13th quickie ripoffs. Troy Haworth, Toxic Zombies. As worse. These are worst. Aaron Crothers, uh, former video nasty that the British government was stupid back when it was released. Um, yeah, censorship and Troy Haworth, censorship is stupid and censorship is stupid in any era, but yes, it's awful, but hardly worth what, that kind of fuss. Talking about Toxic Zombies here. I don't hate it. 
I'm not going to sit here and die on that hill, though it's not particularly good either. Rebecca Reinhardt, The Hearst. Boring as hell and barely involves The Hearst. Cameron Scott and I picked this up blindly for a podcast on killer cars. We were so underwhelmed we picked another movie for our episode. Ooh. And Cameron Scott took the words right out of my mouth. Rebecca Reinhardt, so what does The Hearst have to do with it? Your ma still owes me 18 bucks for the Blu-ray. She says the checks in the mail. Chris Drex, Death Ship. <laughs> You don't like George Kennedy, movie, Chris Drex? Uh, Rebecca Reinhardt. My daughter cannot stand that movie. She thinks it's the worst written, most illogical piece of crap she's ever seen. Um, and Chris Drex says, it's it's how I feel about Muck. Oh, man. Uh, Muck. And I normally badmouth movies. I like that ship, okay? I don't think it's great. I don't love it or dislike it. It's whatever. It's bland. Muck is fucking garbage. Muck is terrible. Dead on, Chris Drex. Horrible movie. David J. Wilson, New Year's Evil. Christopher Webb, Dave. Yeah, that one stinks a little bit. She doesn't stop me watching it on New Year's Eve, though. Okay. Cameron Someone, that one is hysterical. Steve Van Demeter, uh, Dance or Die. And I told him, I mean, that was a 1987 movie, and he says, Oops, misread. Friday the 13th, biggest Halloween ripoff ever made. Hate or worst? Come on now. Uh, Wayne Thompson, Blood Beach. John Devlin, Beyond Evil or a Fiend. Brian Thompson Norton. Sadly, it's Blood Beach. Z, what a waste of a great poster. Can't disagree. Tim Walker, I would say I, I wouldn't say I hate any of them, but there was some pretty dull flicks from that year, like Toxic Zombies, Blood Beach, or Terror on Tour. Terror on Tour is pretty dull. Aaron Mazzola, nineteen eighty set a pretty high bar for horror. Lots of great films, so this is really tough. I'd probably have to go with Christmas Evil though. I know a lot of people like this one, and it does have some cool scenes and it's an interesting concept, but I think it fell short of any of my personal expectations. Um I love Christmas Evil. Okay. Uh, Jonathan Knight, I guess Fiend. Don't fuck with the Fiend, guys. What's going on? Don't know her for life. Matthew Cantor, Effects Man. That one is boring. I think it counts as 79, technically, but I don't hate Effects. I, I see where you're coming from, though. Rebecca Reinhardt, really? I'm not a, uh, talking to Matt Cantor. I'm not a fan of movies about making movies, so maybe that is why. I'm a fan of movies about making movies, so that's why, but I really dig this one. I don't hate it either. And uh, he says, yeah, with Savini on board, I was excited to see it. When I did, it was all over the place with the movie inside a movie, and it didn't and a lot of it didn't make any sense and then we're on our last page here john jason fetters i did not like mama dracula stephen condo mother's day richard uh calvero cannibal holocaust worse now or just you hate it david smart death ship jp and 1981 but final exams Zzz. jacob davidson alien 2 on earth uh that one nick mula i hope you won't have to sit through all the worst 1980 i had to offer but here's my pick night of the demon don't get me wrong i enjoy shellac as much as the next guy this one is just too shellacky i watched night of the demon in years i will be watching it questions one jeremy seems to confuse one movie for another are there things you mix up no matter how many times people explain or show you yeah yeah, it happens, you know. Uh, there's just things I always forget. Like, you'll mix up two directors or two actors all the time. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Jeremy's not, like, a film in Psycho like me, or or even you, probably, that loves, loves, loves films. I make him watch these movies. Um, he likes animated stuff, so. How do you feel about walkouts during a movie? Justified or over overly dramatic? I mean, if I paid for it, I'm not walking out. Like, you're talking about people that are like, that's offensive, I'm leaving. I mean, I think that's overly dramatic. I mean, like... Why do you gonna make? I mean, if you're just gonna leave because you don't like it, fine. I mean, fine, whatever. But like being making a scene about it is just attention craving at that point. Just get up and leave. Why do you gotta tell everybody how mad you are? No, no one gives a fuck. Anyways, if you're making a scene, I feel like it's just a, you're helping their cause eventually, right? Um, finally, I love the um, 
Because, I mean, if you make a scene, there, it's going to be publicity, right? Like, 20 people passed out during this movie. Uh, and then we have, finally, I love the secret top 10 featuring Scott Shermer. An excellent episode. I hope the movie gods allow you guys to work together again. You eventually, and eventually release four hours director's cut of that episode, right? There is not one. Uh, Cameron Sullivan, the fog is still a dull sit-through, despite liking most of Carpenter's other works. Peter McCain, I disagree, but even if agreed, the worst movie in 1980? I mean, worse than hated are, are different things. Stephen Friedell, Night of the Living Dave Parker. That didn't come till 1986, and maybe it will come shortly again. Harry Collins, Scream. I think that technically counts as 81. John Fisher, The Shining. Okay. Jeremy over here under a secret identity. Stephen McGurvin, Evil Speak, which is 81, I believe, as well. Koopa Smith. Would never make my worst of 80 list, though. Okay, I, and I'm not trying to hate on you guys. I'm just saying. It is what it is. I mean, if you don't like the movie, don't like the fucking movie. Um, so question of the week. Uh, basically, I want to know, um, give a moment in time when you, you were watching a movie and you always thought you disliked it and you fell in love with it. Like there's a movie that you didn't didn't like and then you came to the realization you liked it and like maybe the second watch, third watch, fourth watch. Um, or a movie, that, when's the first time, like a movie you didn't love and then you fell in love with it. How many takes uh, did it take? When did it happen? And which movie was it? And I guess we're going to hop into the update. Okay, let's hop into this update. First up is Contraband by Lucio Fulci from uh, Culture and Films. Very happy to see Contraband on Blu-ray. Been a long time since I watched it. Um, yeah. Uh, this is... Good gory uh, Euro crime movie by Fulci, a rare Euro crime flick. Anyways, uh, one of the last Fulci's I considered I absolutely had to have on Blu-ray, so very cool to pop this sucker in when I get a chance. Next up is a Eloy Della Inglesia film, Murder in a Blue World. And is this the one that I'd heard about that's kind of like a version of Clockwork Orange, um, which is supposed to be Chris Mitchum's in there, John Surreal, uh, Surreal. And, uh, yeah, Sue Loin. I don't know her. I might have to see a picture of her. Anyways, it uh, looks interesting. Eloy Della Inglesia did a lot of those uh, kinky movies, which are really wild. And he also did Cannibal Man, which is a really strong film. Um, so, yeah, this one I am interested in. Again, a Cauldron Films that looks like uh, beef on there. See, as, uh, I know this is a gross cut on my hand here. Um, it is dry. I will let you know that. I should probably have it band-aid. But I work uh, at a factory, so lots of things like that happen. But, anyways... Uh, interested to check that one out next up is i know i know second sight supposed to be putting this on blu-ray but i couldn't wait this is the german import of the hitcher was not that bad of a price on it it is english friendly um i believe it's region b locked yeah according to the back of this rugger howard 1986 road horror movie cool film very violent action horror pretty crazy he's got one of the great lines in this movie, Rugger Howard, because I cut off his arms and his legs and his head. Love it. Always remember that line because I'm sick. We got the little contraband magnet here. I should put that on the fridge. Lucio Fulci unfiltered, Italian splatter mafia style. Very cute. Um, then we have some more German imports here. We have Night of the Running Man, which uh, as a young kid, when I was like, like whenever this came out, like I was 10, I was like, Mom, we got to run the sequel to Running Man. But I was like, I don't, I don't think that's a sequel to Running Man. Probably looking at the back and seeing like a sex scene. But anyways, it's got Scott Glenn in here, uh, Andrew McCarthy. So yeah, I've never seen this. So I guess I always kind of wanted to see it. So it was a good price. This one, I think I have like a, a bigger box of it, Ragman, uh, like a bigger 4K. I just, um, I don't know why I bought this pretty dumb huh i do that though sometimes trick or treat i wanted just the regular edition of it i enjoy this movie there's some nudity on the back there anyway it's a really fun movie from 1986 um 
directed by Charles Martin Smith, who was an actor beforehand. Um, everybody knows Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne make some small appearance in this. This is kind of one of the better horror films that's never had an American Blu-ray release. It had a couple crum- a crummy ass DVD. But uh, yeah, Trick or Treat's awesome. Heavy metal horror movie, one of the better ones of that. Speaking of heavy, heavy metal horror movies, we have Freak Show, a.k.a. Black Roses here. Uh, it's been a long time since I watched this one. Oh, John Fasano did this, the same director of... what? What's the one he did? Um, rock, he, did he do Rock and Roll Nightmare or Zombie Nightmare? I did believe he did Rock and Roll Nightmare. This movie's pretty wild, cool special effects. Uh, been a long time since I've watched it. Definitely want to watch it on uh, Blu-ray. So yeah, we got Black Roses, a.k.a. Freak Show. And last, but certainly not least, we have on DVD by Brian Paul and Septic. Yeah, probably watch this tonight if I get all this stuff edited in time, so it'll be a nice reward for myself. This is Septic. Brian Pollan makes crazy gore films, all do-it-yourself, all, it does everything, man. He did stuff like Bone Sickness, Blood Pigs, um, Cryptic Plasm, I know, um, a fetus, all great stuff. So if you're a fan of Brian Pollan and uh, you like independent films, gore films, this is he's one of the best at that. And I'm really excited to watch this one too. So yeah. Anyways, let's get back to the video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one.